0: Turn with me to Romans chapter 8. We're in the midst of a study in the book of Romans. Uh, Chapter 8 is... Rich, and we just are not rushing through it. Um, sometimes we move faster, sometimes we'll move slower. Today we'll move slower, and we'll look at one verse. but I want to read verses 12 through 17. Because we have the Spirit of God. Because we're in the Spirit. And the Spirit gives life to our mortal bodies, that we might pursue Christ. He says this in verse 12 So then, brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit in this way are God, of God, are sons of God. Provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Thus far, God's Word. Let's pray together. Lord, we bow in Your presence. We thank You for the treasure of Your Word. We thank You for the treasure of Your Son and our salvation. We thank You for the treasure of the Spirit, that the Spirit might work powerfully in us through the Word. So, Empower me to preach Your Word truthfully. Empower us to hear it as Your Word. To understand it, to love it, to live in its light, Lord. To faithfully follow You, Lord Jesus, and to hope and to rest in You. So bless us now as we look to Your truth, accomplish all of Your will in the hearts of Your people. We thank You. For the knowledge that your word will never return to you void. Bless the preaching and the hearing of your word. We pray for it, ask for it, trust for it. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Laura and Roger Griffiths were a happy couple who hardly ever argued. And in 2005, they realized a dream that many pursued. They won the lottery. $2.8 million in the lottery. They bought a $1 million house, a Porsche, a Lexus, not to mention luxurious trips to Dubai, Monaco, and New York City. Now from a world's perspective, they seem to have it all. Six years after their win, Laura's husband, Roger, left in that Porsche after she had confronted him about another woman. The marriage was over. One week after Roger moved out, Laura learned that the entire fortune was gone. He had spent it all without her knowledge Then, the one million dollar dream house burned to the ground with insufficient insurance. Now broke and in deep debt. They were left divorced, broke and devastated. The great marriage was gone. The dream house and the cars was gone. The money was gone. And what would have been a very nice inheritance for their children was all gone. There was nothing left. And I wish I could say that their story was the only story like that among the lottery winners. But it's not. At the end, Laura says, she, she said this, I feel like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz when she pulls the curtain away and discovers that the world isn't magical at all and that the wizard is just some stupid bloke. Today I want to talk to you about your unimaginable riches, about your secure inheritance stewarded by God can never be squandered and it will never ever go away. Christian, you have far greater riches than any earthly lottery would ever provide. You inherit God and everything He has promised to you. You are a co-heir with Christ. Everything He inherits, you inherit. And your inheritance is secure because it is secured by Him. It will be well managed. See, today we're up into chapter 8 in our study in the book of Romans. We've seen that we're all lost and need a Savior. That Christ is that only Savior. That through faith in Jesus, we are forgiven of our sin. We are clothed in His righteousness. We are, we are uh, justified in God's sight, declared righteous, adopted into His family that we are justified by faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone. But it doesn't stop there. In chapter 6, we began to talk about our growth in grace or our sanctification. We've seen our relationship to the law. We've now seen that we have the Spirit. So we have the power available to us to grow in grace. And what we have before us today is a transitional verse. We're transitioning from what Paul has been saying about the ministry of the Spirit in our lives so far and he's going to put it into the context of the sufferings of this present time. So we're sort of on a hinge today. But we're going to talk about inheriting God and we're going to look at verse 17. That's it. And we're going to see this. Though we must walk through this world of suffering, our inheritance is is glorious and secure in Christ. Though we must walk through this world of suffering, our inheritance is glorious and secure in Christ. Let's look first at the content of our inheritance. Look back in verse 17. And if children... Well, that points us back to the preceding. We're jumping in, obviously, in the middle of a sentence. points us back to the preceding when he was talking about us being uh, receiving the spirit of adoption, crying, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifying with our spirit that we are the children of God. And I'll point you back to the last sermon to hear more of what that means. But then also he's going to expand upon that. In this verse, and if children, those who are crying, Abba, Father. If you are a child of God, the rest of what is said here in verse 17 is true of you. If you are not a child of God, it is not. So it is very important to understand how we become Children of God. See, we're, we're not just born children of God. Some people think everybody's God's child. Well, that's not true in this context, in the way we're talking about. A child of God is one who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. A child of God is one who's been united to Christ and adopted into God's family. How do we become children? Through faith in Christ. How does that work? Christ came to save us. He lived under His own law and fulfilled all righteousness for us. He died to pay the penalty for our sins. And the Spirit works in us through the preaching of that gospel, belief and faith that we might trust and rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. If all of your hope for salvation, for reconciliation with God, is in the Lord Jesus Christ, God did that. That's a work of His grace in you. And therefore you are a child of God, You are His through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says Christ died for our sins. According to the Scriptures, He was buried and He was raised the third day. There's our guarantee. He was raised from the dead, proving it all to be true and gives salvation as a free gift to those who trust Him. So are you trusting Christ and Christ alone this morning? If so, you are a child of God. And therefore, these things are true of you. So look what he says in verse 17. And if children, then heirs... I mean, I think everybody wishes they were born with the silver spoon in their mouth or had, they were trust fund babies or won the lottery or, or their relative is, is this vastly rich person who's going to leave them this big inheritance. Well, I'm telling you, you are vastly rich and you have been left a grand inheritance. Look what, look what this says. If you're a child of God, then you're an heir. You're one who receives the allotted possession by right of sonship. In Jesus, union with Christ. Look what it says, you are heirs, heirs of God, heirs of God, as children of God, God being your Father, you are His heir, you inherit the, His inheritance. There's a, this is a greater inheritance than all human inheritances combined. If we're children of God, our our inheritance comes from God. We inherit inherit everything that God has promised, including God Himself. I mean, think about the Levites in the Old Testament. What did God tell them? That they, they would receive no inheritance in the land. Right? Because He Himself was their inheritance. The priestly class... Priestly tribe in the Old Testament. We're all priests in Christ, the priesthood of the believer. They fed upon the sacrifices. They looked to the Lord. They served him. And he was their inheritance. If you're a child of God, you inherit everything God has promised, including God Himself, the supreme inheritance, is having the true God, the true and living God. As your God forever, being his child, knowing. His truth, having His revelation where He tells us all that He is for us, all that He's provided for us, everything He has done and will do for us, who we are in Christ. We have great riches because we have a lot. We don't have all the detail we might want, but we have a lot of detail as to what our inheritance is. And the best part is inheriting God Himself. See, so many people want the blessings, but not necessarily the blesser. Right? And so many people serve God for what they can get and sort of treat God as this genie that they can rub on the bottle and He'll pop out and give them their wishes. But the true child of God looks to God, yearns for God, loves God, wants to embrace Him as their hope. And everything they've ever hoped for. See, unlike Dorothy, we look behind the curtain and find the true and living God, our Father, who has promised us a great inheritance. Look, Paul's expanding. He said, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. You know, on an earthly level, you know, the firstborn son would get the greater portion of the inheritance. But we're in Christ rightly understood, the firstborn son. So what Paul's saying here, fellow heirs with Christ, or your translation might say co-heirs with Christ. We are in with Him. He inherits it all and therefore in Him so do we. We're co-heirs, which means we inherit everything He inherits. What belongs to Jesus also belongs to us. Well, let me ask you this. What belongs to Jesus? Not one inch of this universe is separate from belonging to Christ. Psalm 2.8 says, Father, to the Son, ask of Me and I will make the nations Your heritage and the ends of the earth Your possession. And the Son didn't forget to ask. Ask. And after Jesus was raised, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The nations are mine. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations. Hebrews 1, 2. In these last days, by the way, we've been in the last days since the resurrection. Okay? Okay. In these last days He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of most things. Heir of all things. And if we're co-heirs with Him, then we are heirs of all things in Him. He's the heir of all things through whom He created the world. Christ inherits it all, and within Him, therefore, we inherit with Him. Your heart has not imagined, or dreamed, or been able to comprehend the glory of your inheritance being in Christ Jesus. Sure, we've gotten some foretastes of it and we get some glimpses of it. But it's going to be so much more glorious than you've ever imagined. But somehow we still fall into the trap of wanting it all now, don't we? Like the wayward son, just give me my share. And what would he go do with it? Same thing they did with that earthly lottery winning. Squandered it all. Just show me how I can get God to give me now what I want. Well, that's what Osteen and the rest of that crowd's trying to do for you. That's why he'll say live your best life now. If you're living your best life now, you're in deep trouble. will talk more about that in a minute. What is our inheritance? Well, I can't lay it all out for you this morning, but I'm just trying to encourage you, child of God, a little bit. We go through a lot of trials. We need to hear these good news. That we're fellow heirs with Christ. Daniel 7.18 says this, The saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever. And as if that wasn't enough, more emphasis. Forever and ever you will possess the kingdom. Why? How? What all would that be like? Well, I, I can't explain all to, of that to you, what all that will be like. But the reason we inherit is because Christ purchased it for us. 2 Corinthians 8 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Rich, truly rich. Rich in real riches. Rich in your inheritance. Rich in what you have in Christ. This kingdom you will inherit forever which will put everything we're going through here and everything we ever thought to desire here, it will cause it to pale and fade into the background because it is so glorious what Christ has purchased for us. The worldly philosophy is you only go around once, grab all the gusto you can get. But the truth of the matter is, no matter how much you gain in this world, and that we entrust that to God, and there's nothing necessarily wrong with people having much as long as they don't idolize it and they use it for God's glory. Whatever you gain in this world should be used in service to this Lord, right? And invested for His kingdom. And what you will gain in Him in your inheritance is far more superior and vast than anything in this world. Some do give their souls trying to gain this world. Some will make deals if you promise they can have all of this world. But what did Christ say? What will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul. What's the implied answer? Nothing. Nothing is worth you forfeiting your soul. Nothing is worth you shucking Christ to the side, going your own way, maybe enjoying everything this world has to give, only to stand before God when you pass from this life and hear Him say, depart from me, I never knew you paying the penalty for your own sin. Nothing is worth that. But those who give their souls to Christ inherit the universe and will reign with Christ. I can't explain everything this means to you, but Paul uses this, and he says, don't you know we will judge the angels? Can't you settle disputes among yourselves on the earth? Don't you know you will reign with Christ? You will judge the angels? you will have it all and everything. We'll talk about this next time in verse 8. All the sufferings in this life aren't worthy to be... compared. They're hard now. They're deep now. They're, they're, they're almost all-consuming now sometimes, but in light of the glory that is to come. So we don't make little of the suffering, but we just make bigger of the, of the glory that is to come. But those who give their souls to Christ inherit the universe And will reign with Christ. By giving our souls to Christ, we gain the world. Let me ask you: What are you living for? Honestly, examine it. What am I really living for? Where where does my security and does it come from? Stuff here. Am I living for this world and for this life? It's really, it's just all about me getting as much as I can get here. Because after all, you know, he who dies with the most toys wins. Y'all know where that breath of sulfur came from, don't you? (laughs) The evil one. He who dies with Christ wins. No matter how many toys he's got. And the toys he has, he will use to glorify Christ. Yes, enjoy. To glorify Christ. But really, be real with yourself. Because there's a, the world, the flesh, and the devil wants to deceive you. Wants to trick you into living for self. Living for this world. Caring most about what people think. I think we probably, most of us in this room, made a profession of faith. But is that flowing from a a true heart that has Christ as its treasure, that is willing to wait for its best life and is willing to invest that life now for the kingdom? What are you living for? See, we have a glorious inheritance. We'll talk more about that in a minute. I wanted to sandwich this suffering section between the, 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 um, the initial dealing with the inheritance and then trying to put a little bit few more details on it. We certainly won't give an exhaustive list this morning. But he says, "If your children, your heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. But there's a condition of our inheritance as well. Look at the end of the verse. Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Provided we suffer with Him. Suffering is the path to future glory. I mean, I I, I say this verse all the time. In this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. He's overcome it for you. Suffering is a description of what the Christian can expect in this world. I mean, everybody can expect suffering in this world. But the Christian has another layer that brings suffering. It's a glorious layer. But it's another layer. It's another layer. Why will we suffer? Because we live in a fallen world that hates God, hates Christ. A world that's not our home. A world that should be our mission field. So the suffering here in this verse, and it will we'll, be more general when we look at verse 18, and we'll talk about more there. But in this verse, he says, if you suffer with Him, provided we suffer with Him. So the suffering here is the daily anxieties, tensions, and persecutions that are the lot of those who follow Christ in this fallen world. The daily anxieties, tensions, and persecutions that are the lot of those who follow Christ in this world. So the major note here is suffering as a follower of Jesus, knowing that He suffers with us as well. What what did He say to Saul? Why are you persecuting me? But Jesus' people were persecuted because they belonged to Jesus. They were persecuted because they were no longer running in the ways of the world. They in love and grace, but truthfully were preaching the gospel and showing that the world's ways were evil. That's why they were hated. And that's why they suffered. We suffer with Christ. Here's a few sort of different ways. We suffer with Christ, number one, by not seeing this world as our home and sacrificing for the world to come. We suffer by not seeing this world as our home and sacrificing for the world to come. And the the primary way we're supposed to do that is, is the gospel. Right? If we're faithful with the gospel... Hear me, not everybody's going to like it. And in fact, some people are going to hate it. And therefore, they're going to hate you. But no, if they, if they hate you because you're rightly preaching, living, sharing the gospel, they're not really hating you, they're hating Jesus through you. So we don't see this world as our home and we sacrifice for the one to come, and we suffer by enduring persecution... Rejection and mocking. So that's part of our suffering. And then another part is fighting temptation, right? Pressing into growth and in grace. That requires suffering. But we're suffering to live for His glory now. Not our glory. We're suffering to live. We're sacrificing to live for His glory because He has sacrificed for us to save us. He has purchased us. All suffering shows us that this is not our home. Just a few points. A little bit of homework. Go home and read Hebrews chapter 11. Read the whole thing. Um, We'll put all this in context. I'm just going to read a few parts of it this morning. Hebrews 11, 13 to 16. These, we're talking about the hall of faith, right? We're talking about Abraham and, and Sarah and Moses and... You know, Abel, all those others. It says this, these all died in faith. Having had their best life now and gotten everything they wanted. No, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar. They look forward to their inheritance. And having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Implication. And this is not it. If they had been thinking of the land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. By the way, good test. Do you desire a better country? Uh Uh-huh. Do you desire to live in a better place than this? It's a good test, right? They desired a better country, a heavenly one. Watch this. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared for them a city. How about a personal example? And again, this is part of that chapter. How about, did Moses, did Moses suffer with Christ? Was he willing to suffer with Christ and to await that glory that would come? Well, look in, in Hebrews eleven twenty four 24 to 26. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. See, he refused one adoption... And God had saved him and Pharaoh's daughter had saved, you know, and and took him into her family. But as he grows up and begins to to get it, he says, He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now watch this. Watch what Hebrews says. Choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Big old fat sermon right there. So I'm going to preach it. no. (laughs) But ask yourself is that my is that a description of my life would i rather be mistreated than deny christ would i rather be mistreated than to be cool would i rather be mistreated than have my friends think i'm i'm all that i'm cool i'm in the crowd Am I willing to speak for and live for Jesus in the context He has placed me? Am I willing to not be what the world wants me to be, but to be what He wants me to be, knowing that it will bring persecution? See, Moses made that choice. He weighed that out. And he's like, no, no, no. God. God. I'm going to follow Him. It says, verse 26. Now, watch his treasure. Verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. Why? Look. For he was looking to the reward, he was looking to his inheritance. He saw the masquerade of the world in front of him and how it parades as everything you want, need, and everything that will satisfy you. And he's like, no, I'm looking above the sun. I see something better. Someone better. And better promises. I love him. So I'm willing to take whatever you dish out because I'm looking to him and I'm going to follow him. Moses was an example of one who looked forward to the reward and therefore made the sacrifices to live for Christ and even embraced the persecution as treasure because it was fellowship with Christ. Listen, none of us want to suffer. Something weird about you if you want to suffer. But we should all be willing to suffer rather than deny the Master who bought us. And we need to know that part of His plan for us on our way to our inheritance, it is a crooked, sometimes dark, deep, suffering way that we go through. But our reward is secure. Philippians one twenty nine says this, it has been granted to you. Notice it was granted. Those of you who believe, it was granted. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. God brought the Gospel into your life. He, you were born again, born of the Spirit, so that you turned and trusted in Jesus. He said, It has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. Not super... Not this is not talking about stupid tax and suffering because you've done something wrong or you know been not following Christ and paid a price. But this is suffering for his name, suffering for his sake, suffering for his gospel, being willing to, like Moses, choose to be mistreated rather than enjoy the ple- fleeting pleasures of sin, to treasure the reproach of Christ above the treasures of the world, but God is clear with us. This is another place where He's being clear. Yes, it's been granted to you, believe in Christ, and to have this free and great salvation. But it's also been granted to you in this world because you have that treasure to suffer with Him. Now, listen. I know being raised in America and living in America, we've been really sheltered, really sheltered. I mean, you know maybe the only persecution we've received is being unfriended on Facebook or something. Listen, that's light affliction. Look around the world at all of the people who are, who are being martyred and dying for the faith. It's been granted to you believe. It's been granted to you to have His salvation and have whatever that brings. Because if we're going to reach the world for Christ, we're going to have to be out there with the gospel. We're going to have to talk about wrath and sin and need of a Savior as well as grace and salvation in Christ. And I'm telling you, this culture more and more hates that, loathes that, spews venom towards that. And it's going to get worse before it gets better. But whatever comes, it will be worth it to follow our Savior come what may because of His great love for us and the great love and growing love He's worked in us for Him. It is a treasure to be persecuted for Christ. Remember what Moses thought. But Jesus said that as well. Look, Matthew 5, 11 to 12. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Ask yourself when you've heard a health and wealth preacher preach on that verse. Blessed are you. Treasured are you. Blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you, look falsely on my account, on Jesus' account. He says, Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before before you. In Luke, he says, Leap for joy when you're persecuted because of Me. You know what else He says in Luke? Woe are you if everybody loves you. The only way as a Christian I can make everybody love me is to so water down the Gospel or just make it not part of my life. But Jesus said, you are blessed when you're persecuted. And yes, you have a great reward coming. But even now, you can be filled with joy when you're rejected because of Me. You're a child of God. You are an heir of God. You are a fellow heir with Christ. Yes, on this road to our inheritance, there's going to be struggle and suffering because you're following Me. See, He's blazed that trail ahead of us. And we're following Him in His wake into our glorious inheritance. And that path behind Him will sometimes be easy. It will sometimes be fun, exciting. Sometimes it's going to be hard. Just hard work. And sometimes it's going to be dark. And sometimes it's going to be people beside the road throwing rocks and stuff. You know, persecuting. But He's worthy. And it's worthy to walk through this world with joy in our hearts and His gospel on our lips. Come what may. Provided we suffer with Him. See, those who truly know Him will acknowledge Him. Those who truly know Him will be lightened. We might not be good at it. We might not think we're good at it. But we will be willing to speak. Just like the martyrs in the early church in Roman Empire who were given the choice to deny Christ or be martyred. They would not deny Christ. Because this life wasn't what they were living for. He was what they were living for. And they knew to be absent from the body was to be present with the Lord. They knew that that great reward was within reach if those people took them out. So they could walk with confidence. Child of God, children of God, Christians, you are heirs of God. You are co heirs with Christ. And though that will bring suffering in this world, there's a great reward that we look forward to. Not that we've earned it, we don't earn our reward. Right? That's why we'll cast our crowns at His feet because He will have worked through us to accomplish everything good that happens. As I end, I want to give you a not exhaustive list of what we look forward to. And then I want to read a text of Scripture that amplifies what we're talking about here. And then I'll shut up. But in Christ, some of these things we have now, some of them we have a foretaste of, some of them we're waiting for. Okay? But in Christ, these things are true of us. If you're trusting in Jesus this morning, you have a complete forgiveness of your sins. Every one of your sins has been washed away by His sacrifice. You have forgiveness therefore what was verse 1 in chapter 8 there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus listen for those of us whom God has brought to conviction we've seen something of the weight of our sin to know that we're free from that man that that's that's enough no condemnation if you're trusting in Jesus so number two In Christ you have righteousness. Every duty of the law has been fulfilled for you by Christ and His record is your record before the judgment bar of God. That's Christ's righteousness imputed. But that righteousness is going to be perfectly applied. When we're in the new heavens and the new earth, we will be perfectly righteous. When He appears, we will be like Him. We will get everything He has promised. So while now in our justification we are righteous before God, before His courtroom, His bar of judgment, when this salvation is fully applied, we will walk in a perfect righteousness. Number three, you have a new heart. You have a heart that now loves God. I would say it's growingly loving God. Christian, you don't have a heart that perfectly loves God yet. But you have a heart that's growing in its love for God and it will be perfected then. Imagine standing before the Holy Savior in a perfect righteousness. Yes, clothed in His righteousness, but being perfectly righteous in your love for Him in your practice of His commandments at that point. All flowing out of a new heart. Number four, you have an indwelling Christ. Christ lives in you. The Spirit permanently indwells us. Called the Spirit of Christ in our chapter. You are the temple. You are the temple. We're not looking for another brick and mortar temple. Christ is the temple, and in Him you are the temple. And God will dwell in you permanently. So... Number five, we have victory over death. We have victory over death's penalty now. There's no penalty of death for us because Christ has paid it. Christ died in our place. He defeated death for us. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord for the Christian now. But listen, in the new heavens and the new earth, there won't be any death. There won't be any sickness. There won't be any suffering. There won't be any pain. There won't be any misery because there won't be any sin. No more death. No more sorrow. No more pain. Yes, we have to walk through all that stuff now. He's with us and for us and and our sufficiency and help. But imagine... Oh, we sing it. We don't think about it. When we've been there 10,000 years. We're just getting started. And this all will be way back in the distant past. Victory over death. Glorified. Number six. and it's Overlapping. I, I get it. Glorified. Hey, look at me. We're going to have a new... Perfect body! Anybody want that? Man, people are making lots of money trying to give you a perfect body now and it's not working. Stop! That's the best thing I can tell you. Just don't keep pursuing that path because at some point it just gets, starts looking really weird. But we're going to have a new perfect body forever and ever and I'll be able to jump higher than that then. (laughs) in the new heavens and new earth goes along with no more suffering no more pain no more death no more sickness no sickness ever no sickness ever of any kind no problems with the body Any part. No more brain issues. No more heart issues. No more leg issues or whatever it is you suffer with. You're going to get new ones that aren't broken. How about this one? No elections. No more elections. No more political commercials. <laughs> A perfect king forever in the new heavens, new earth, and all will faithfully follow him. There'll be no sin as law, it'll all be righteousness <clears throat> in the new heavens. And the new earth. How about this? (coughs) No wars. No more war. Swords beat into plowshares. Why? Be the reign of the Prince of Peace, right? No more war. Prince of Peace reigns, and we reign with him. I'll move on. No poverty. Don't even be focused on that stuff. No more poverty. Hey, no more lotteries. No world religions. What do you mean? No idolatry. There's one true religion from one true God in His one true Son. Christianity, rightly understood, is the only true religion. And it will all be Christ then. One perfect relationship, one perfect communion with one true God in Christ Jesus with eternal joy in His presence. Listen, the greatest, most mountaintop experience you've ever had in your worship on this planet will be utterly boring in comparison to then. We're far too easily satisfied, aren't we? Perfect communion with God, eternal joy in His presence. So therefore, perfect joy and satisfaction forever. Number 12. We can't even imagine that, can we? We're talking about things we just, we have to accept the words. I mean, we get little foretastes of joy and satisfaction here, don't we? You know, and Piper's right. God is most glorified in us when we're most satisfied in Him. But we don't walk around every day all day satisfied in Him, do we? I mean, we're not glorified yet. But listen, what I'm trying to tell you is this is going to be glorious. It won't be boring. That's just the way a sinner thinks about things, right? Perfect joy, perfect satisfaction. Number 13, a perfect life filled with perfect purpose and meaning. We're not going to look like little fat angels floating on clouds with little harps, okay? Okay? We're going to have stuff to do. When God created the world and put Adam and Eve in the garden, did He say, okay, just float around and play a harp? No, He gave them work to do, right? It's a righteous thing. Hey, look at me. Some of you won't want to hear this. Work is not a result of the fall. Perfect life filled with perfect purpose and perfect meaning all devoted to God. How about this one? We need this one too in the church, don't we? Pure love of one another. Perfect relationships. No more rifts. No more bearing with one another. All peace. All centered in Christ. All joy. All love. All harmony. And I'll end with this one. Pure. Perfect worship. God-centered. Joy-filled. Love of God. Worship. Listen, Look at me now. Worship that you will never want to end. Now come on, I know some of you are going, when will this preacher shut up? (laughs) But there you'll never want worship to end. So enthralled with God. So filled with joy in His presence. So instinctive in worship. You'll just never want it to end. And here's the good news. It won't. It won't. Just like the, you, you read Isaiah 6 and the angels, that they never tire of circling the throne. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. They never tire of that. In fact, it's their utter joy to do that and privilege to be in that place. Christian, this is just a little sampling of what it means to be an heir of God, of what it means to be a co heir with Christ. Yes, we walk through this, we walk under the sun through this world, through a lot of struggles, and sometimes it's all we can do to hang on. But it's just not you hanging on, it's Him hanging on to you. And He will take you through, and it's all worth it for Him. Especially if we're persecuted for Him. Look at me, believer, and believe this. You are rich beyond your wildest dreams. You're far better off than any trust fund baby or lottery winner. You inherit God and all that is His in Christ. Since you are His child, you are His heir. And these riches and more you will never lose. Trust in Christ, those of you who maybe aren't. You need Him. Your sin separates you from God. You will answer for that someday on your own if you do not trust in Christ. But believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. <coughs> and like the Philippian jailer, you too will be saved. You too will have this hope. You too will have a glorious inheritance. I'm going to read us out from First Peter and I'm done. But this is verses 3 through 9 in 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Watch it. To an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice. Now here's the suffering part. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved with various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not see Him now, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. To live is Christ. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Lord, have mercy. Take the blinders off our eyes. Help us to get our eyes and our gaze above the sun on you, Lord Jesus. As Spurgeon was told, look to Christ. Keep your eyes fixed on Christ. Rest in Him. Walk with Him. Trust Him. He's with you and for you. He makes all of your tears and your suffering work for you now, Christian. Shaping you into His image. And He will take you home to be with Him in this glorious inheritance. Wait well. Hope well. Rest well. Live well. Live for Christ. This is the path of great riches Lord I pray for those who don't know you that you would be at work in their hearts that they might truly come to trust you I pray for those of us who do know you that you would be growing us in grace and that we would look to you and look to your promises and look to our inheritance and that we would be so heavenly minded that we would be greatly of earthly good This world is not our home. We wait for the city. We wait for the new heavens and the new earth. We wait to inherit the world. And yet now we find joy in trusting You and loving You and living for You and being used by You. Refresh us and renew us, Lord. Detach us from ungodly ties to this world. May our hearts be anchored at the right hand of the throne in heaven and our Savior. So bless us to love You. Bless us to live and speak for You. Bless us to trust You. And bless us to help and encourage one another that we might walk through this veil of tears together on mission for Christ. Bless and be with us, Lord, and grant us the grace to spend some time meditating on the glorious promise of Your inheritance that is ours as co-heirs with Christ. Lord, we praise and thank You, and we lift these things up to You in the name of Jesus. Amen.